Throughout the season of Lent, we have been looking at passages from the Gospels in which Jesus asks a question. Looking at the question that Jesus asks, and not only looking at that question, but the answers to those questions so that it can provide a model for us as disciples as we ask our own questions and seek those answers. And so today we're going to look at another question from the Gospel of Matthew. Our reading comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 39. This is found on page 797 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before we read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where are we we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus asked them, How many loaves have you? They said, seven and a few small fish. Then he ordered the the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children. After sending away the crowds... He got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I have been very blessed throughout my life to have the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places. And throughout those travel, those opportunities to travel, I picked up a lot of different travel tips to try to help to make those travels go a little bit more smoothly. For instance, when I was a child and we were packing for a trip, my mom taught me that if you roll up your clothes into a really tight little coil, you can actually get more in your suitcase than if you lay them flat in your suitcase. You do need to make sure there's an iron somewhere where you're going if you do that. But it does save some room. Also, it saves room if you take your socks and your underwear and you stuff them into your shoes and put those in. That saves a little room as well. My wife has taught me when you're going and traveling by airport, you need to wear some sort of loafers or slip-on shoes to go through security because you will never, you never understand how long it takes to retie your shoes until you're trying to catch a plane at the airport. I've had other friends who have taught me things like, you know, make sure when you go on a trip to travel, take some chewing gum with you, especially if you're flying in an airplane, because chewing a little chewing gum can help relieve some of the the pain that you might feel in your ears when the cabin changes pressure. I learned that from two Portuguese women who were flying with me on a transatlantic trip. That's a story for another day. I I also learned from my cousin Charlie that when you're traveling overseas, it's always helpful to bring just a little bit of food from home, whether it's like a granola bar or something that your body is familiar with. We had gone to Russia, and they had wonderful food in Russia, but he told me, trust me, your tummy will thank you if you just eat some familiar food. And he was right. My tummy thanked him very much. 
When we go on trips, what we pack and what we travel with, how we prepare can determine whether we have a good trip or whether we have a bad trip. It can determine whether we want to go back or whether we never want to go back. And as Mary told you in our story this morning, Jesus and his disciples were on a trip. And I don't know if Jesus gave the disciples a packing list before they left on that trip, but it was very clear that what the disciples brought with them made a very big difference. Now you've probably heard this feeding story before, the feeding of the multitudes. It's actually one of the few miracles that you find in all four Gospels. And in fact, in Matthew and Mark, you find a very similar miracle happening twice. Once in Matthew chapter 14, and then again the one that we read in chapter 15. And there are a few subtle differences between the two stories that I'll share with you. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus and the disciples are traveling around the region of Galilee, Jesus has actually tried to step away from a crowd to just get a little time to himself, but the crowd continues to follow him. And so there out in the wilderness, out there in Galilee, the disciples come to Jesus first and say, we've got a lot of hungry people here. We need to send them away so that they can get the food that they need. But Jesus commands them to feed the people. He commands the disciples to feed them. Now these people in Galilee were probably mostly Jewish people, people who knew the law, people who were like the disciples because after all Galilee was a place that was filled with mostly Jewish people. You know the story, Jesus set the people down, broke the bread, blessed it, and there was enough food for all of the multitudes. Now here again in chapter 15 we see a very similar story. But this time Jesus is traveling in a region called the Decapolis, which you can probably hear from that word. There's a little bit of a Greek tinge to that word because this is a region where ten different cities, ten different villages are all surrounding the same region and that region is full of Greek people, Gentile people, probably Jewish people as well. But it's a totally different region where Jesus is surrounded by people who don't follow the Jewish law. And it's there in this region where Jesus himself has compassion for the crowd, this crowd that he's been helping, healing, and, and, and teaching all throughout his three days there. And so he has compassion for the crowd and asks the disciples to help them. And that's when he asks that famous question, how many loaves do you have? Jesus seems to know that the disciples have some food with them. Even though the disciples are worried there's not enough food, just like before, Jesus seems to know they have some food. And it would have made sense that the disciples have food. The disciples, who were Jewish people, wanted to follow the Jewish law. That was what was required of them. They wanted to be faithful. And so it's very possible, even probable, that in order to make sure they followed the Jewish food customs of eating the right types of food required by the Jewish law, that when they went to places where where there might not be the right types of food, that they would bring that food with them. This was their food to help them follow the law. And Jesus looks at them and says, how many loaves did you bring? Jesus asks that question of them, and he asks that question of us. And I think this little story, with just the interchange between the disciples and Jesus, provides us a pretty good model for how we should do ministry ourselves, how we should reach out and help our neighbors, how we are called to serve our neighbors and love our neighbors as ourselves. First, in this passage, Jesus begins with this question. How many loaves do you have? 
That's how all of us as ministry, when we're trying to help other people, should begin. We should begin with a question. What do you have and what do you need? Too often throughout history, I think churches have tried to begin ministry with an answer. I know what you need. You need this. Rather than beginning with a question. What do you have and what do you need? Usually, when we ask that question, we might find that what the people that we're trying to help need is actually very different than what we think they need. We think they need to be like us. But really, what they need is what they need to survive in their own culture and in their own space. Let me give you an example of that. At our previous church where Julianne and I worked, we had a long-standing relationship with a, a community and a church in Nakuru, Kenya. We had sent missionaries there years and years, year after year, had done wonderful things in that community, not only building a school to help train nurses, but also uh, helping them uh, dig a well to have clean water and all kinds of things. And after many of those things had been accomplished, we continued to send doctors and send missionaries over there to visit them again and again. And after a while, those missionaries felt like they weren't doing a whole lot of good work there. And they finally, finally asked the question, what do you really need us to do? They said, do you need more supplies? And they said, no, we have plenty of supplies. You've brought supplies for years. Do you need more doctors? And they said, no, we've trained our own doctors. We want to use them. And they said, what do you need then? And the answer was, we need a pickup truck. A pickup truck here in Africa? Yes, a truck here in Africa. Because of all the wonderful things you've done, we now have a surplus of supplies. We have a water that, a well that creates more water than we can possibly consume ourselves. We want to take that now and share it with others. And so just by asking that question, they realized what they thought these people needed was something different than they actually needed. So, of course, they came back home to our church, raised that money, and bought them something much bigger, of course, than a pickup truck. And now that community, just by asking that question, not only were able to help themselves, but they were able to help others. They were able to become the helpers. They were able to be empowered by just the opportunity to answer a question, to be asked a question by a church willing to humble themselves enough to say, what do you need, rather than assuming what that answer would be. That's what Jesus teaches us by asking these disciples, how many loaves do you have? What do you have and what do you need? And trusting that the disciples would answer truthfully. Of course, we not only can learn from that question, but we also can learn from the answer that the disciples give. I can imagine when those disciples were heard that question from Jesus, their first reaction was maybe, oh no, he wants, him to give, he wants us to give some of that uh, of our own food. They might say, look at this little bit of food that we have, we don't have enough. We don't have enough to feed all of these people. He knows we have these food, this food in our backpack, but we don't have enough to feed these multitudes, multitudes of Gentiles who are around us. And I bet there are times when we look at the problems of the world, when we look at the problems just outside our door, and we might say the same thing. We look in the mirror and say, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I have nothing that I can offer. And yet Jesus asked those disciples again, what do you have and what do you need? Maybe the question we should be hearing in our head is, 
What do we have that Jesus can use? Well, the answer to that question is everything. Everything that we have, whether it's big or small, whether we think it's beautiful and wonderful, or even whether it's not that beautiful and not that wonderful, Jesus can take it and use it to help those people around us in need. Not just our money and our time, yes, of course, but even just our energy, even just our hopes, even just our positive attitude, and believe it or not, even our mistakes, even the things that we do wrong, Jesus has the power to take those things and use those things to help other people around us. Let me share with you an example of what I mean. When I was working as a chaplain, doing my chaplaincy training, I got to meet another chaplain who had worked in lots of different prisons throughout the state of Georgia. His name was Chaplain David, and I got to know him very briefly. But he told us his story, our class, about how he became a chaplain. He had actually, before he became a chaplain, had in, in prisons throughout Georgia, had actually gone to prison himself. And while he was in prison, he had had a great relationship with his prison chaplain, and so he decided that's what he wanted to do with his life. But through his training, he had learned that he was not supposed to share too much of his own story, share too much of his personal life with the people he would be working with. Not only because, as ministers will tell you, that makes it all about me and not about you, but also because it could even be dangerous. They could use that information against you. And so for the first few years that he was a chaplain, he found it very difficult. He was very, very upset, felt like maybe he had missed his calling. And and finally one day he was trying to work with an inmate in the prison where he was working and the inmate just shook his head, thought this guy was out of touch, got up to leave the room and said, you don't know anything about what I'm going through. And finally David broke down and stopped and said, believe it or not, I do. And he finally, for the first time, shared with an inmate his own story about how he had been arrested. And not only arrested once, but arrested twice for assaulting someone else and then arresting a third time for breaking his parole. And he got caught up in that system and he knew exactly how hard it was to get out of prison. He didn't want to share all of those mistakes with this person but somehow, some way, sharing those mistakes, sharing those things that he thought were faults, broke down the walls between him and the people he was trying to serve. Jesus took what he was ashamed of and used it for ministry. Jesus took what he wanted to hide and used it for the glory of God. When we look at ourselves and we think we don't have enough to offer, Maybe we're just not looking clearly at all that we have. Our good parts, our bad parts, our gifts, our skills, but also even the mistakes that we make. Offering our whole lives, everything, to God's good use. Jesus asks us, what do you have and what do you need? What do we have that Jesus can use? Well, the answer is everything, our whole lives. But I also imagine there were a few of those disciples, disciples like me, who when they are asked that question, how many loaves do you have? Their answer is, hey, those are my loaves. That's mine. That's what happens. I know that's me because several times, a, well, a week, Julianne usually tries to grab a French fry off my plate and I say, hey, that's mine. It's kind of the, the three-year-old answer, you know, that's mine. That's what we think with all the things that we've been given. Hey, that, that's mine. 
What's going to happen if, if I give that away? Then I won't have any. And I can imagine those disciples feeling the same way. If we give away all of our, our blessed food, our food that's helping us keep the law, then we won't be able to keep the law tomorrow. We won't be able to be faithful tomorrow. That's mine. I planned that out just for me. Then we realize once again that maybe Jesus has plans for the things that Jesus has given us. When we answer, that's mine, we forget all that Jesus can do with what Jesus has given us. Just a few weeks ago, Julianne and I were, were up visiting my family, and I got to witness one of these little exchanges firsthand. My niece and my nephew, my niece is three years old, and, and my nephew, who is one year old, my nephew has just discovered that everything my niece has is really pretty cool. One day they were playing there on the floor while we were visiting them, and uh, my niece got upset because my nephew wanted to play too, and she said, hey, that's mine. Well, of course, the parents intervened and said, listen, Olive, you've got to learn to share, which of course made Olive very upset, and she walked off and left her brother there in the floor to play. But after a few minutes, her mother walked over to Olive, picked her up and held her while she was kind of crying angry tears, rocked her a little bit, and then they stopped and they watched as her little brother played in the floor with the toy that they were playing with. And she quietly whispered to her, watch him play with this. You could probably teach him how to play with this. And in those moments, I watched them. I realized all the times that I have said, that's mine. That belongs to me. While always forgetting who I belong to. Jesus says, you are mine. But not just you. Those people around us in need are mine too. Those people across that street and those people across that street, they're mine. Those people who are hurting around you are mine. Those people around the world who don't even believe in me, they're mine. We all belong to God together. And when we remember who we belong to, then maybe, just maybe, we can remember that everything we have can be used by that God to do amazing things. Jesus asks us, how many loaves do you have? What do you have that Jesus can use? The answer is simple. Everything. Jesus can use it all if we're just willing to give. Thanks be to God. Amen.